We've seen the necessity of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but what are the consequences of being Spirit-filled? Well, let's talk about that next. Many a book has been written on the subject of being filled with the Holy Spirit and what Spirit-filled Christians should look like, but precious few on the consequences of Spirit-filling. Today, we want to spend some time looking at just that. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, welcome, this is Truth For Today. The ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. What are the consequences of being Spirit-filled? Well, let's check in with Pastor Phil Howard and find out, shall we? Here's Pastor Phil now with today's broadcast. We're going to go to Ephesians uh, 5, but I thought we would just begin today at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. I'm speaking today on the consequences of spirit filling. What are the results of someone being under the Spirit's control? But just to set a background, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not welcome the things that come from the Spirit of God. So they won't like anything that Ephesians says it produces. Speaking the word, singing, thanksgiving, submitting. They're not in for it. They don't even get the gospel. And this was all of you at one time. And myself, the natural man, the man without the Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. They're moronic. He thinks we're on the lunacy fringe. And he cannot understand them. And that's the great thing that bothers you as you share the gospel. You're waiting for them to believe, and they don't even know what you said. They'd believe if they understood, but they don't understand, because only the Spirit can do that, enable them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. That is, he's discerning. He can, the Word of God, he just figures it out. It's not he's judgmental. It means he can make accurate decisions about the word, what it means. Uh, But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Some take that to be subjectively. I take it to be objective. The word of God is the mind of Christ. And we have that mind and the spirit unfolds it to us. So we've got the Word and the Spirit working to unfold this. Because there's some days you're not acting like you've got a mind. But when you've got this book and you follow the Word, you've got the mind of God in ink and paper. And the Spirit will let you understand that mind. So you take it subjectively, I always have the mind of Christ, or objectively. Colossians says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. I think it's the Word of God, and I think the mind of Christ here is the Word of God. Then, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as carnal. Wait, he's just told them about the natural man, 
mentions the spiritual man, but now he's talking to some brothers that he couldn't address as spiritual, but they're brothers. They ought to be. But as carnal, uh, you're childish. You act like infants in Christ. Now, it's all right to be a newborn believer, but this word here is childish, and you ought to be getting over it. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. So they're, they can't hardly get the word. It has to be digested for them. They're very teacher dependent. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still fleshly or carnal. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not acting carnal? Out of the, the flesh, no one can get along with. The flesh is divisive contentious, jealous, envious. I believe 11 of the works of the flesh in Galatians are relational contention. When a believer's acting carnal, we never listen to them. They can't even get along with God. Why should we listen to idiots under the control of the flesh? The flesh cannot be negotiated. You can't please the flesh. What they need is to get right with God. They don't need a vote, and we don't need to hear their opinions. We've got to know if the Spirit of Christ is controlling the mouth or Satan or the flesh. It's another scary thing. You could be the mouthpiece of the devil, just like Peter. You shall not go to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. You're not saying what God says. Have you ever had the devil use your mouth as a Christian? Ask Peter when you get to heaven. He'll say, absolutely. Are you not acting like mere men when you're contentious, quarreling, fighting? Going to the first church of the quarrel. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? And he carries out what this church looks like in my lands. Chapter 4, they're all bragging how rich they are, while Paul is going without, having to support himself, the greatest apostle of the Christian era. But they're all saying, we're reigning. He says, well, we're not. We're being persecuted, thrown down, thrown in jail, starving. Chapter 5, you've got an immoral brother in the church sleeping with his mother. You're doing nothing about it. Chapter 6, you're taking one another to court. Chapter 7, you're practicing fornication. You ought to get married. Chapter 8 through 10, you're offending one another with your liberties and bragging how spiritual you are. Chapter 11, you're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Chapters 12 through 14, your tongues has taken over the meeting. We can't give a message that anyone can understand because you all want to grandstand and take over the meeting. Chapter 15, some of you are believing there's no resurrection from the dead. Chapter 16, I commend the house of Stephanas because they've addicted themselves to ministry. It's scary what a New Testament church can act like if the Spirit is not filling now let us go back to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, and let me review where we've been and then pick up the consequences of the Spirit. He tells them two imperatives. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to a wasted life, but rather be getting yourselves under the control or the influence of the Spirit. And let me just repeat the points I said last week to bring us up to date. Number one, spirit filling is commanded. To not be spirit controlled is sin. It's an act of disobedience. Something has hindered that work so that it's as powerful a command as 
Don't steal. Don't lie. When God tells you to do it, it's something to obey. So he's not assuming all believers are spirit controlled. Uh, he knows that all believers are indwelt by the Spirit. All believers have been sealed. All believers have been immersed into Christ. But not all are necessarily living under the control of the Spirit. So he's commanding this church, get yourself under the control of the Spirit. It's your responsibility. He doesn't just say, make it happen or zap me, God. It's not that. He's saying, you get yourself right with the Spirit. If you're grieving him, quenching him, take care of it so the Spirit can influence and control you. So it's a command. In the original language, it's something that's continuous. It's not a once-for-all experience. It's to be an ongoing enablement. And so it's a moment-by-moment -moment, uh, reliance. Spirit-filling demands cooperation, obviously. You've got to do something in order for the Spirit to control you. And we use the illustration, you're the glove. He wants to be the hand. And he, all he wants this glove, as it were, animated glove, is to say, please use me, control me. I'm relying on you to be the one that uses me for whatever purpose you want. It's an attitude of reliance, an attitude of trust is the major and then in that reliance, you're doing nothing to offend the hand that you want to control you. You don't want to grieve him by sin. You don't want to quench him by saying no. You want to be yielded, yielded to the spirit. Uh, someone has said, it's like you live in a constant posture of being available. I'm available to do whatever. You could be a spirit filled playing a game of tennis as in church. Did you know that? What's the spirit got to do with tennis? Well, if it's a continuous filling, he might help you not lose your temper. Or he might just help you to enjoy the game. Spirit filling is ongoing. It ought to be the, the normal state of the heart. I'm under the control of the spirit. And sometimes I think spirit filling, we've got them jumping over walls. No, it might be just having a decent breakfast with your wife without a spat. Have any of you ever experienced that? You ought to try it. It's wonderful. Moving right on. Spirit filling is for the church. It's a corporate command. Spirit filling is living under the control of the spirit. What is the filling? It's he's controlling you. He's influencing your behavior. And then spirit filling is contrasted with wine. It, it, uh, instead of, you've got to, if you want to get drunk, you've got to do something about getting drunk. You got to get enough of this stuff in you to take over. And if you want to be getting under the control of the spirit, you've got to be relying and making yourself available for him to do that. And of course, drunkenness produces waste. And the Bible always forbids drunkenness. But the spirit produces order, produces the fruit of the spirit. And we want to look in the immediate context to see what he produces. Spirit filling. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And if you looked at Colossians 3, the corresponding passage, he would be saying, 
Let the words of Christ be dwelling in you. Spirit filling and the word of God go together. You're living in harmony with the word of God. The word of God is controlling the content of your mouth, the content of your speaking, so that you're able to admonish, you're able to uh, teach. When you're speaking, you're able to say a word that helps. And then he goes into singing and making, singing these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I like to say something. You know, we all in the church today battles over this matter of music. Should we sing hymns or choruses? Let me say this. Everything we sing is new compared to the first century. You don't know what they sang in the first century except the 150 psalms. Right? So you get people getting argue, well, this is really sacred. This was written in the 1500s. That makes it sacred. It's slow and, and nobody can sing it but it's sacred. Then over here, choruses, no, there's too much tempo, too much this. They said it about many of the songs that Luther wrote because he took the tunes from the local taverns. And when he used a local tune and put Christian words, it was anathema. You can't do that because we made the beat, the meter, and the melody sacrosanct. That's not what makes it sacred. It's the message. It's what we're saying in the song. You don't have any Bible for not having drums. You only have bias. We got more Bible for, matter of fact, if some of you sisters loosen up, men, we might get you dancing. Psalms 150, I like to be gone on that weekend, but you know, some of you kind of kick off a step anyway, but uh, uh, just don't go into line dancing. If you did that, we'd say, oh, oh, they're going over too far. And we, some would be very nervous because you're stoical anyway. But they did it. Uh, when I visited Israel, they'll do a deal of sacred uh, traditional dances, kind of folk dancing kind of thing. There's so many ways you can express the message. Let's don't get caught up on the expression, but let's be sure we have the message. That's what makes it sacred. I, I was in one... Uh, we know one prominent preacher said, don't do anything in minor. I love things in minor. Uh, I said, only happy music. I don't buy that because I have a bias. I'm not always happy. Sometimes I'm sorrowful. I need a minor sound. You see, it's so subjective. Don't, don't die for music. Uh, in the matters of taste, there is no argument. You cannot make me like what you like. And I can't make you like what I like. So maybe we'd be big enough to tolerate each other. I'm leading tonight, by the way. It's the oldie goldies. The real sacred music will be led tonight. But you cannot win here. It's the Christian liberty issues, the meat. I can eat the meat, I can't. If you can't eat the meat, don't keep me from eating it. And if I can eat it, it's real hard not to eat that publicly when it's the songs that I enjoy. So it takes a lot of wisdom in this area, but he's primarily saying the spirit produces a singing church. And if you're a member of the church, you ought to be in that choir right here. Because every worship service, I think it would help you if you thought of this. You are the singers, God is the audience. You are the actors, as it were. He is the audience. And what I do up here in preaching, or maybe those are song leading, all they are is prompting you and giving you your lines while you're doing the acting out of worship before the Lord.
that our audience has always got to be the audience of God. But also, if we'll sing horizontally for those about us, we'll get the message and be edified. So be it. Wonderful. So it's for our edification and for the adoration of our God. And that has to be weighed in the message. So we move on. Uh, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And I said, I believe last week, the emphasis there is with all your heart, with all your being, sing to the Lord. Then we pick up verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want another passage, if you don't like that one, for all things, we've got 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says, Give thanks in all things, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, spirit filling produces thanksgiving. For what? You know, as soon as you tell someone, you ought to be thankful. The automatic, for what? <laughs> what should I be thankful for? Nothing's going right. And uh, there's three possible attitudes you get with people when it comes to Thanksgiving. Number one, you get the attitude that says, I don't need to. I deserve everything I'm getting. Why should I be thankful? And that's that rich fool building additional barns. I don't have any time to acknowledge God. I'm laying up my 401k and I built the barns. It's my business. Why be thankful? I am a self-made man. Thank you. And that night, he was a self-made corpse with a little divine help. So there's a lot. The majority of the race would say, there's no one to be thankful to. I'm thankful for me. Romans 1 said God judged the race because every thought of their heart did not include thanksgiving to God. It always would damn a culture, damn a home, and damn all relationships when you are so preoccupied you're not thankful to anybody connected. Another attitude is the hypocritical thanksgiving. Can you imagine this? Man, I thank God I'm not like you. It just moves your heart, doesn't it? And, and here's the publican praying, I thank you, God, I'm not like this guy. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not that way. Thank you, Jesus. You hypocrite. That's a self-righteous thanksgiving. Never accepted of God. Then you have true thanksgiving. The leper who returns after having been healed, 10 received their healing, nine forgot about it as soon as they got it. But the one never did forget, I want to go back and say thank you. We had an interesting staff prayer meeting one day and the comment was made that we're long on requesting and asking and short on praising. You'll ask and ask God to do something, ask God to do it, and by the time he does it, you'll say, well, thank you, Lord. Now next, there's something else I wanted you to do. Wait, how long have you been asking for this? Couldn't you praise him as long as you ask him? Could we take a little bit more time saying thank you? Thank you? It's like that kid in Christmas. He's been begging for this bike for six months and says thank you in six seconds and shoom, you never see him again. Thanksgiving is a work of the Spirit. 
The reason we don't do it more is we're not under the control of the Spirit. And uh, I read about a legend of two angels that went down to collect the prayers of the saints. And one was to collect the petitions of the saints, and the other was to collect the thanksgiving of the saints. The one collecting all the petitions was so burdened down that he needed help to get back to heaven. The one collecting thanksgiving said he could carry them in a hand. Are you thankful? How do you express it? Uh, is thanksgiving just once a year for you? I understand if spirit filling is continuous, that means your normal, your normal attitude would be thanksgiving. And for what? Now don't you, for what? For all things. But you don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. You don't know my husband. You don't know where I work. I know. I don't know that I want to. But I know God's word. For all things. Three levels of thanksgiving. When we are blessed, that ought to be the easiest. Sometimes anticipating a future blessing. Lord, have you ever said this? Lord, if you'll do this for me, I'll be sure to praise you. I'll give you the glory. That's nice. The most difficult is when things aren't going right. When it's not going right and uh, the spirit is still filling you and people are questioning your sanity because you're giving thanks in it. You're not saying, thank you, Lord, she died. That's not it. You're thankful in the midst of disappointment. And I think Job is a great example. A man without Swindoll, a man without radios, a man without a Bible, a man that knew God. Nobody pastored Job. I mean, there's nobody that pastored Job. There were no Bibles. There were no book of Psalms. He did not have the story of Joseph. He's the first saint we've got going back. Job, he blessed the name of God receiving the worst news a father could receive, the loss of all of his children. You think this is an act of insanity. I am stunned every time I read it. I, I, uh, I'm just stunned. I, I don't know where all he got this. I mean, you talk about knowing God on a level that I struggle to know him. I mean, if things don't go our way, we can burst out quick, can't we? Why didn't all the irritation take over and you don't get any fragrance of thanksgiving? Job blesses God and they ask, what should we do? He said, it's time to worship. I remember hearing the testimony of E.V. Hill as they played it on uh, Focus on the Family. And uh, when he's at the hospital with his wife and he got the news he wasn't going to make it, he went into the hospital chapel there and he always called his wife, babe. And he said, I went into that chapel there in the hospital and I began to talk to the Lord. And, and to kind of paraphrase what he said, his words went, said, Lord, I, I understand uh, you're going to take babe. I'm not going to take her home. And then he said these words, you gave babe you can take, babe. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I've seen believers walk through trials and walk through the response to such horrendous news 
that you had no question who was in charge of their innermost being. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time together has come to a close here, but as we leave you, we'd like to do so with our address and phone number if you'd like to contact us, and we would love to hear from you. You see, Truth For Today airs here on KFAX in part through financial partnerships with our listeners, such as yourself. If the Lord is prompting you to make either a one-time gift or be a monthly donor, we would love to hear from you. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please take a moment and contact us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. And as our way of saying thank you for your partnership with us, we'll make you a TFT sustainer, which includes our quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, into your email box every week. Again, it's all part of our TFT Sustainers Package. Contact us and learn more at 855-833-9864 or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org. And you can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you stop by our website, valleybible.org, please remember other resource materials are available there. Other series is taught by Pastor Phil, some of the books that he's authored. You can also find out about Valley Bible Church, who we are and what we believe, how to get here, times that we worship, and you're more than welcome to join us. Again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org. Stop by and pay us a visit. Then drop us an email and let us know you did pay us a visit. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.